Welcome, friends, to Tell Me What to Google. I'm Michael Kent, and this is a podcast where listeners tell me something that they just learned from the internet and they think I should know about. It's a podcast without a category because you tell me what we're going to talk about. I'd just like to take a quick moment before we start this week's show and say thanks again for all the support, both from our awesome, awesome sponsors and from our Patreon supporters. There are now four hours of bonus content on Patreon in the form of unedited interview videos from this show. And you can get all of that at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. You can join at a dollar a month and something fun. This is not a big deal, but I'm excited about it. I've got new Tell Me What to Google stickers on the way. Little square stickers of the show's logo and stickers with What the Blank Is This, which is a saying from the Joke Story Trick Show. And all Patreon members, all of them, will get those in the mail. Speaking of Patreon, today's topic comes from one of our subscribers, Taylor, and it's about something that happened on an episode of my show, Joke Story Trick. Hi, Michael. My name is Taylor, and during your Joke Story Trick Show a few weeks ago, your guest, Brett Loudermilk, mentioned that the flea circus was a real thing. I thought he was lying, so I googled it, and I think that you should too. Thanks. Yeah, Taylor, I was skeptical too about this. Uh, I knew about flea circuses, but... I never knew that they used real fleas, so that was a shock to me when I heard it from Brett. Let's briefly go back and listen to Brett Loudermilk, who you may know as the sword swallower from America's Got Talent, telling us about this a few weeks ago on Joke Story Trick. What I'm about to show you doesn't exist anymore. And there are people today that present flea circuses, but flea circuses aren't what they used to be. Flea circuses now are essentially puppet shows. But back in the day... Flea circuses were completely legit. They were very, very real. And there was uh, the most famous flea circus of all was Professor Heckler's Trained Fleas. And it was in for- at 42nd Street in Times Square uh, in the basement of a place called Hubert's Museum. And uh, this is while they were still using real fleas. Um, fun fact. What? Flea circuses came from jewelers. Uh showing off their skills by making very small things and then tying a leash around a flea to show how precise they are. So you're probably like I was hearing that and like mind blown. There is a thing that it's a very magician-y sort of bit where you have a flea circus that you display. And what that is is a sort of gag where you have all these tiny apparatus items that They're automated or controlled by you to look like tiny fleas are controlling them. And oftentimes the performer will hold a magnifying glass to sell the idea that it's tiny fleas controlling everything. But in reality, there are no fleas and everything just controls itself. Like there might be a little diving board and a tiny swimming pool and you'll see the diving board bend and you'll see a splash in the pool. But there's never any actual fleas involved. Uh, And you can actually I found one of these online. You can buy this from Hammaker Schlemmer. uh, And here's the description. Spectators step right up and witness a centuries-old sideshow that entertains curious crowds with a collection of orchestrated illusions that suggest well-trained fleas are performing feats of strength, acrobatics, and daredevil stunts using a series of switches, knobs, and magnets operated from the back of the suitcase. One enchants a captive audience with a series of stage acts, including a flag-raising ceremony, blindfolded drag race, ball-balancing act, high-dive stunt, strongman performance and a daredevil flea being shot out of a cannon requires one nine volt battery the price is thirty two hundred dollars 
So uh, this was sort of a popular thing. I mean, Mattel put one out as a kid's game in 1965. But what blew my mind was this idea that the origin of the flea circus was a legitimate flea circus. Let's see where all this begins. Huh. So I guess you can, in a way, date all this back to the 16th century. So let's do that. If you were a jeweler or a watchmaker in the 16th century, and you wanted to show off how dexterous you were in manipulating tiny metal objects, apparently you would lock a flea to a chain. Or at least that's what a man named Mark Scaliot is credited with doing in 1578. The lock consisted of 11 pieces of steel, iron, and brass, and a tiny key. And then there's this long-form poem in, from 1599 called The Silkworms and Their Flies, in which Thomas Muffet writes about the idea of harnessing fleas in a section titled The Theater of Insects. And here's a little fun side fact. Thomas Muffet is often claimed to be the father of Little Miss Muffet because he wrote a book about insects, but that's never been proven. Anyway, uh, back to the flea circus. Starting in the 1800s, the idea of showing off fleas harnessed to all sorts of tiny mechanical devices like wagons and vehicles and cannons started taking off. I won't get into every mention of every instance of a flea circus, but we heard Brett talk about Professor Roy Heckler in the basement of the museum in New York. But 100 years before that, one of the most famous flea circuses of this type was an Italian man named Louis Bertolotto, in 1820. His flea circus, which he called an extraordinary exhibition of industrious fleas, operated for 150 years. In his show, rather than showing off the abilities of watchmaking or jewelry, the flea became the center of attention. In addition to fleas, chariot racing, and pulling cannons, fleas would take part in duels and would appear to play music in a tiny flea orchestra. He really made it into a show. And at one point, he was described as the Andrew Lloyd Webber of flea circuses. So let's briefly talk about how all this was possible. As we learned back in our Dung Beetle episode, which you can listen to if you go back to episode three, I think it is, some insects are capable of pulling many times their weight. So there's that. And then there's the way that the fleas were connected. Part of the skill of creating one of these flea circuses was the ability to fashion a small loop of wire, either brass or gold, into a leash or harness and connect that around the flea's body before attaching it to whatever apparatus the flea was used for. Some collectors still have some of these original fleas in vials with their harnesses still attached. Then, in some instances, the fleas were glued to the floor of their enclosure and the enclosure was heated, making the fleas want to escape. Their ensuing movements then would make it look like they were doing things like playing instruments. Not the most humane thing in the world, but hey, it was the 1800s, and I assume there weren't any Save the Fleas groups organizing back then. These folks came up with some really ingenious ways of doing this flea circus. They even found an interesting way to feed the fleas. They would just stick the fleas on the performer's arm and just let them go to town. Pretty gross. One of the most interesting tales of the flea circus is the story of Mimi Garneau. Brett Loudermilk shared this story with us on Joke Story Trick, which I'll retell here for you. Mimi was a circus performer and had performed since the 1920s as a sword swallower. She was known as the first woman to swallow the neon tube. She performed with Ripley's Believe It or Not in the 1930s and performed with that group at the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. 
She toured with several circuses, including all the circuses you've heard of, Ringling, Barnum & Bailey, but Mimi really lived a tragic life. She lost a son to the Spanish flu and lost another son in World War II in Sicily, around the same time she lost her husband. And then later in her life, she worked up an act with trained fleas. This was the 1960s. In 1978, Mimi had been booked to appear on Sam Alexander's sideshow in Belmont Park in Montreal. She traveled from Tampa to Canada that spring and had some success with the flea circus, but the change in climate from Florida to Montreal killed all of her actors. She scrambled to find more fleas and offered money for locals to bring their dogs to her so she could mine the dogs for fleas, but the Canadian winter had killed all of the fleas on the dogs. Her solution? was to have a friend ship her a shaggy, flea-infested dog from Florida. Mimi paid for the dog to be flown to her in Montreal, which was great, but she hadn't counted on one thing. Canadian customs required animals entering the country to be treated for fleas before entering. They flea-dipped the dog. Mimi's flea circus never reopened, and she returned to Florida. And there's quite a well-known publicity photo, or pitch card as they were called, of Mimi sitting behind a table with her flea circus. And it's quite popular with collectors of flea circus memorabilia, not because of her success, but because of the amazing story that goes along with it. I'll put a picture of that pitch card up on the show notes so you can see it. Let's take a quick break to tell you about some of the awesome folks who sponsor this podcast. Please be a pal and visit their websites. Tell them I sent you. So many parents are being tasked right now with not only your career and regular parenting duties, but now with trying to help your kids learn. And it's so important that your kids continue hands-on learning from home. Check out Thimble.io. This is an awesome monthly subscription service for middle and high school students that teaches real-world stuff like robotics, coding, and engineering through quarterly STEM kits and online classes. So you and your kids can stay at home, but still have a virtual engineering lab at home, teaching your kids everything from robotics to weather stations to drones from top professionals who've worked with companies like SpaceX, Microsoft, and Apple. Subscribe now and cancel at any time. Go to thimble.io and use my code TELLME, all one word, to get 15% off any subscription. That's thimble.io and use the promo code TELLME. Do you like jokes? How about stories? What about magic tricks? If you said yes to any of those, you'll love my weekly live stream show, Joke Story Trick Live. Every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we gather to tell listener jokes, do magic, even learn magic, and bring on a special guest to tell a story. We've had everyone from a sitting U.S. congressman to television stars to WWE wrestlers. It's always a great time, and it's a free show. Just go to jokestorytrick.com to watch past episodes or tune in every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's jokestorytrick.com. I hope to see you there. I don't know about you, but this time of year, as it starts to get colder, we love burning candles around the house. Okay, who am I kidding? It's all year round. And our favorite candles are made by Daniel Joseph. They're 100% all-natural soy with braided cotton wicks and fragranced oils. And not only are they handmade in Evanston, Illinois, they're made from all American materials. Because they're made with soy instead of crude oil paraffin wax, they burn clean with no soot and they burn longer. We love the cashmere vanilla, but brown sugar and fig is great too, and you'll just have to go see it for yourself. Go to Daniel Joseph Candles 
Candles.com. It's DanielJosephCandles.com. Back to flea circuses. So while these flea circuses with actual fleas went on and existed for a very long time, there are very few, if any, who actually use real fleas today. I found a couple accounts. There's an annual one in Munich, and there's one in the UK, but it's just like, hey, we do this one time a year and that's it. What we see mostly now are what insiders call humbug flea circuses. These are exactly what I described in the beginning of the podcast. They're tiny little magic tricks, essentially. They use batteries and magnets to give the impression that fleas are putting on a show, and they're just so small you can't see them. In reality, the fleas are only pantomimed and implied with the use of things like they'll use tweezers and magnifying glasses. So thank you so much to Brett Loudermilk for letting me know about this and to Taylor for reminding me about it. But this brings me to the guest section of the show, and I've got a treat for you this time. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend and see if they already know what we just learned. And today, we're going to call a man by the name of Richard Wiseman. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he has had several very popular internet videos, viral videos, uh, usually dealing with perception and optical illusions. You see, Richard is a professor of public understanding and psychology at the University of Hertfordshire. I'm not sure if, I, if I'm saying that right, Hertfordshire, in the United Kingdom, and is a professional magician. In addition to all of this, he has studied flea circuses extensively and has done several talks and articles on the subject. Hello? Richard Wiseman, it is so great to connect with you. Uh, I'm so happy that you were able to join me this evening. I, I have a question about, I don't have your, so as an American, I don't know how to say the, the name of your university. <laughs> I've, I've tried a couple times. I've been introduced in America uh, many, many times, and each time with a, a novel twist uh, on the <laughs> university. Um, so, yes, University of Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire, Hart, Hartford. as, as we would say in Ohio. Absolutely, yeah. Hertfordshire. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, I was familiar with a lot of your work, but did not know that you had this interest in the flea circus until I started Googling and I found some some of the work that you've done in this area. What started your interest in flea circuses? It goes back a long way. It goes back a long way. So in uh, Hertfordshire, uh, there's uh, a natural history museum uh, in, in a place called Tring. And as a kid, I would go to the Natural History Museum. It's, it's not very large. It's quite a small uh, museum. And in uh, all these kind of, I don't know, sort of skeletons of dinosaurs and whatever else they've got. But the thing that really intrigued me was like one tiny little drawer you'd pull out and there were two dressed fleas in there. And there's just something about magicians, because I've been into magic since I've been eight, that there's something that makes you go, oh, there's dressed fleas. That's far more interesting than the dinosaur skeletons that every other eight-year-old is interested in. Yeah, these fleas um, are from, you know, 1920. However, that dinosaur skeleton is from a, a billion years ago. And, uh... That's right. It's, and it's still the fleas which capture our attention. So, so I've always had an interest in dressed fleas. Um, and uh, it's a, a great sentence in itself. And uh, then when, uh, I, I think so in the early 90s, uh, I was interested in, in promoting science and getting people interested in science. And it seemed to me flea circus were a really interesting way of getting people interested in fleas. 
And so I started to look into it. I bought two fleet circuses. Um, I performed one of them many, many times. And I would give a talk about fleas and about the history of the flea circus. And then we would perform a flea circus. And that was the kind of bit that I did going around museums. And the flea circuses that you bought and performed, were these the sort of humbug flea circuses that we know of now? Or were, did you perform with actual living fleas? Um, well, it's, it's a good question. There's a difference between what you're actually performing and what you're saying you're performing. Sure. So my, my claim was certainly that these were genuine fleas. Um, I would say you'd have to have very, very good eyesight in order to be able to see those fleas. And, and as far as I know, no spectator actually managed to do that. <laughs> okay, interesting. We, we've studied a few of the more notable flea circuses from the era of actual fleas, of, of living fleas. And one of the most interesting stories was the one about Mimi Garneau. Have you found any notable historical flea circuses that are, are great stories? I don't know about great stories. I think there's interesting links with magic and, and, uh, and magicians. So uh, the, uh, Professor Heckler was, the, was the, the big flea circus, you know, performing in, uh, in Times Square. And I hadn't realized that uh, one of the talkers, so it's the talker's role to get you to come inside, basically. One of the talkers was uh, T.A. Waters, the, uh, oh, the magician. Really? Wow. So he, yeah, so he was, he was getting people to go inside and see the flea stuff, which is kind of interesting. So this is sort of like a carnival barker. They, they stand absolutely. outside and explain, you know, come in, you'll see these amazing wonders of, of uh, nature. And, That's and right. So T.A., very, very, he's no longer with us, but at the time, very famous mentalist was, was doing that. Uh, the other is, uh, for magicians, is that one of the early flea circus booklets on how to produce what you're referring to as a humbug uh, flea circus was written by Tom Palmer, who is, of course, the stage name of Tony Andruzzi. And, and so if you know about bizarre magic and, uh, and mentalism again, you know, his alter ego was a comedy magician and he was doing a flea circus. So there's all these kind of weird tie-ups between magic and, and the world of the flea circus. You know what I'm really interested about is why. Uh, there, there has to be a time when we saw the crossover from, okay, well, it's no longer practical to perform this with fleas, but we can do almost the same act with mechanical apparatus how, where did that happen? How did that happen? I have tried to track that down and it's really tricky. You've, you've got some pamphlets in the 1930s where people are faking flea circuses, but it's not really mechanical. It's, it's kind of, oh, look over there and something happens and that was a flea, but it's, it's not the same thing. Right. What you have yeah. in the 50s, and this seems to be responsible for at least popularizing them, certainly in the UK, is Michael Bentine. Now, Michael Benteen is one of the goons, which in the UK, massive comedy troupe um, who are on radio, um, hugely creative and, 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 and forerunners of Monty Python. If you're into Python, the goons came before Python. Okay. Uh, Richard Benteen is uh, one member of the goons, and he loves kind of mad engineering. And I, I believe he was one of the first people to put together a mechanical uh, flea circus he had two or three of them. They were big. They were big. He was doing it on stage. So, because with the original flea circuses, it was 25 people crowded into a small room. He's performing for a couple of hundred. These things are like six feet long. <laughs> and, um, and his son, uh, who uh, is, thank goodness, still around, uh, still has them in his living room. So he wow. still has his dad's uh, flea circuses, in my understanding. 
Um, and then Michael Benteen from that went on to create a British show called Pop Poppy Poppy called Potty Time, which is very, very similar. It's very similar because it uses all the same mechanical effects. So he plays a key role in it. Um, but from the 1950s onwards, you've got loads of people going out there doing, as you say, a far more practical version. Sure. Now, at a certain point, this has fallen off. Uh, there are, I, I know of magicians who perform a small flea circus type act, but there are very few working attractions. Uh, is that sort of just following the line of that style of a sideshow performance where it's just not attractive to people anymore? What, it is a, what is it about the flea circus that is no longer bringing people in to, uh, to watch these types of things, you know? You would think that there would be, maybe during this pandemic, someone putting together a live stream flea circus or something along these lines <laughs> if it was something people wanted to see. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, I'm part of a flea circus Facebook group, and it's pretty active. Um, so, so there's, there's quite a few people doing this stuff. My experience with it was that people loved it. They loved it. So whereas any other type of animal act, you know, might turn people off nowadays, sometimes for good reason, that certainly wasn't the case with the flea circus. Um, people absolutely loved it. Kids loved it. Problem with kids is that they were a tad skeptical. And, and so (laughs) it's not quite like magic. Where you can go, oh, but you know, it's all quite the fun of the mystery, you know. Yeah, you're you're between a rock and a hard place, basically. You've given Um, me an idea. You know, we've got these problematic, trained killer whale shows. Maybe we could just create giant tanks that splash water, and the killer whales are implied. uh, Rather, (laughs) well, well, that. There is a flea, there's a flea circus act similar to that, and it's an American comedy performer, and I'm now struggling to think of his name, but he has an invisible elephant on stage. Oh. And the elephant climbs up the ladder, and you see each of the rungs go down exactly as you would with a flea act. I think he jumps into a pool of water. This is um, very familiar. Yeah, I yeah, can't so I, I'm, Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. So but it's a very similar to your whale act. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah better that than, than, than real elephants. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. If listeners wanted to learn more about the history of the flea circus, is there a book or is there a website that you would direct them to? Um, there's really not. I wish I, I wish I could say there was. I wrote an article about it, which is out there on the web. I think Walt Moon, who's a great flea circus maker, um, has it on his website. Uh, if not, you can probably look on my website, and it's there somewhere. That gives you the history uh, of the uh, of the flea circus. Um, but there's not been much done with it. And, and what, if people are interested, what I'd really urge them to do is, is kind of get involved. As you say, we, we need more flea circuses out there. It needs to be a hands-on endeavor. Uh, so get out there, get yourself a flea circus, and let's keep this thing going. Let's keep it going indeed. That's all for this week. Please leave a review of the podcast on iTunes with a little bit of verbiage because writing a few words about the show on iTunes helps a ton to allow other people to be able to listen and to allow other people to tell me what to Google. We'll see you next week. 
Tell Me What to Google is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Reed Mathis, and additional music this week was Silent Film Light by Kevin McLeod and Here Come the Raindrops by Reed Mathis. You can listen to past episodes by searching for Tell Me What to Google wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. 